Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This podcast. This is episode number 45. Thanks for joining me. We have another exciting show for you today. This is episode number two in the last 100 yard series. Again, we're talking with our new friends from the KIPP committee. Now, if you've missed episode number 44, I recommend you stop right here, go back and listen to episode number 44. And why? Because episode 44 of the last 100 yard series is the introduction. And that introduction episode lays the groundwork for the rest of the episodes. So it's a really good listen. So go back, listen to episode number 44, and then meet me back here. So before we get into the last 100 yards, we have some new stuff to bring to you. And it is simply titled Association News. Now, before we move any further, Isham understands that continuing education and knowledge growth come in many forms, you know, and we at Isham support whichever format suits you best. So we invite you to experience the conference, the Isham Annual Conference, either in person in Columbus, Ohio, or virtually, or you could do both. So you are the heart of the 2021 Isham Annual Conference. So if you're interested, visit us at www.isham.org backslash great expectations. And there you're going to find more information about the different attendance options for the conference. So register today and join me in October for Great Expectations, the Isham Annual Conference. Now it's time for association news for you. For many of you out there in podcast land, it's difficult enough to keep up with everything that's going on these days. You work hard all day. You spend time with your family. So what I want to do is I want to try to make it just a little bit easier for you if I can and give you some of the association news highlights. Really just bring it straight to you. Kind of a listen on the go and keep you up to date type deal. So today on association news, we are looking at uh, one of the flyers that was sent out recently and it's the CHL pilot exam. So do you currently hold a CRCST and are you in an SP leadership position? Or maybe you're just hoping to be a one day, maybe you're hoping to get into management or hoping to be a supervisor, advance your career. You know, do you want to show your peers that you have the knowledge and the skills necessary to manage a sterile processing department effectively? Well, Isham has the certification in healthcare leadership, the CHL exam, and it's getting an update, right? Well, we want you to be a part of the process. So October 1st through the 15th, Isham will offer a pilot test for the newly updated CHL exam. 
Now, one of the incentives for taking this pilot test is the exam is being offered for only $75. Now that's, uh, if you're calculating, it's about a 40% uh, discount off the current exam. Now for more information on how to take part in the pilot exam and take advantage of those savings, you know, just go to the ISHM website, ISHM.org, and there is a flyer CHL pilot exam, and you just follow that information. All right, next. Next, we're gonna look at the up to speed. So, you know, this is kind of a newer thing from ISHM is the up to speed. Uh, you know, it came out earlier this month. Now, if you're not familiar with up to speed, up to speed is a monthly digest of upcoming sterile processing education and products for your department. So keep up to speed with really the most innovative ways to increase departmental efficiency and education. So in the up to speed, there's lots of information, you know, different vendors and things like that, that you can take advantage of that are right there at your fingertips. Again, you know, if you're not getting this up to speed, you're a member, you get the emails, all the other emails, check your junk mail. You know, sometimes it falls in there. So along with the vendors and other information in the up to speed, you're also going to see things like uh, the process, this podcast, of course, there's a, a little blurb about that. But there's also uh, information about uh, the upcoming conversation with leaders, the industry leaders, you know, enhancing communication skills. So this is a live webinar. It's coming up Thursday, August 19th at 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Central Standard Time. Great, great live uh, webinars or live, live events that Ishan puts on. The speakers are always great to hear. They have great topics. So, you know, check that out. Uh, maybe uh, go on and uh, register for that in the Isham uh, store. And then there's also, you know, information about the new and improved Isham online buyer's guide. Now I've done podcasts before, uh, just, you know, kind of going through that buyer's guide. So there's kind of some updates to that. And, you know, all this information is in the up to speed uh, that came out the beginning of the month in this volume five. So uh, a, a little change to that buyer's guide. I think you should check that out as well. So good information in the up to speed. Uh, this uh, this issue. Uh, next, let's move to the insights, right? Everybody should know what the insights. So, uh, insights. This is insight issue number forty-five. So, what's going on in the insights? So, insight your news. Uh, again, insights is information for the Isham community, and that's you if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, so, in this issue, hey, we have Casey Karnowski. Right, he's a friend of the show. You know, he, he was on a, a couple episodes ago. Well, Casey joins the Isham Board of Directors. So on July 2nd, the Isham Board of Directors appointed Casey Karnowski, uh, who is an interventional platform educator for Stanford Health, really to fill the vacancy of a former board director or board member who is no longer eligible to serve. So, hey, here's your official welcome to the board, Casey. Uh, thank you for your commitment to serve. So uh, we also have in the article, some uh, the article addresses some verbiage. Uh, if you've been around lately, you've noticed kind of a shift and you'll see this in probably some of the eight upcoming Amy documents, uh, probably ST79 and maybe even the ST91 if it ever gets 
approved. But this shift from saying uh, the verbiage from saying point of use cleaning to really saying point of use treatment, because there can be some confusion by what's needed to prepare instruments safely and successfully for transport to the decontamination area after a surgical procedure. So more specifically, if you've ever been confused by that term, point of use cleaning, you know, this article kind of talks about that verbiage and why we want to tend to use treatment because, you know, in the operating room, when they're uh, pre-cleaning instruments or clean, you know, really taking care of instruments during a case, they're not really cleaning, right? They're just kind of uh, keeping a lot of the major debris off those instruments. And then even after the procedure, you know, they're not really cleaning again. They're really treating those instruments in preparation uh, to transport to decontamination. So when we're in decontamination, we can start that cleaning of those instruments. So a good article, and that article is by uh, one of your clinical educators, Sue Klasik, and it can be found in the August uh, 2021 issue of OR Manager, uh, or there's a link in the actual Insights uh, edition. So another interesting uh, title we have here is Surgeon Orientation to sterile processing can cut IUSS. Well, that's an interesting, interesting thought. So here we go. Uh, Isham routinely stresses the merits of interdisciplinary communication and orientation to better understand one another's critical needs and responsibilities. And here we have an article that demonstrates how orientating surgeons to the aspects of sterile processing can yield big benefits. So that is another interesting article, and that's something that interests you. Again, it can be found in the Insights issue of 45. And then you can, once you're in that, uh, you can just click on and read the full, full article. We also have uh, SPD uh, TJC, the Joint Commission Checklist, promotes quality, safety, and compliance. So following a visit from the Joint Commission surveys, one of the quality-focused sterile processing departments develop a checklist for staff to review daily to reinforce key responsibilities, improve safety, and prepare for those visits. Now, the SPD uh, also compiled a list of common pitfalls and valuable lessons learned. So another great article if that is something that you are into. And then further down, we have some more information about the annual conference coming up, Great Expectations. We've already gone over that, so I won't, won't give you more information. Uh, stay current on current COVID-19 information infection trends. So there are many different sources on the internet and elsewhere making various COVID-19 related claims and updates. However, sticking with the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention as primary information source is still a wise strategy because it updates daily based on latest cases, deaths, trends, and scientific findings. So access to that COVID-19 data tracker is in this uh, issue. Um, there's a link again. The beautiful thing about the insights is if it provides the link. So when you go in there, if you hear something on the show that you're interested in, check out the insights and they have the links that link directly to where you want to go. 
And then again, I talked about this already, but we have the conversations with leaders. Here we go again. It was in the up to speed. It's also in the insights edition. Um, if you're looking in the insights, there's the actual uh, click here, register button. So it's an easier path or you can just go straight to the Isham uh, Association website. Now, next article we have is Workout Boost Productivity. <laughs> and it has parentheses, a lot. Now, uh, we're all aware of how regular exercise can improve cardiovascular health, <clears throat> decrease blood pressure, and cut the risk of developing certain diseases. But new research shows it can also significantly improve productivity by up to 25%. That's pretty cool. So to get the full scoop, there's a link again on how exercise can enhance productivity through reduced fatigue, improved concentration, diminished stress levels, and much more. So again, a very interesting article. So that's what we have for the insights. Uh, some really good information. Again, I love the insights because it gives you those direct links. So all you have to do when you get the issue, if you see something you really like, has direct links to take you to further research that information. Now, next we have uh, some folks I'd like you to meet. So uh, some new folks at the Isham office, on the Isham office staff, we have uh, Chandra and Catherine. Both of these folks serve as certification specialist. Right. They assist with the overall functions and performance of the certification department and help out with all certifications and member related needs. You know, that can be from reviewing, uh, processing exam applications and seeing certification holders through the annual review cycle, verifying accounting education to ensure compliance with certification, assisting with phone and email inquiries regarding website navigation, eligibility criteria, application status, certification request, and much, much, much more. So welcome to the both of you. Uh, glad to have you on the Isham team. I know our members are excited to have you as well as I am. Now next, and I'm, I'm happy to welcome Jermaine. Now Jermaine is the education manager who works alongside the Isham's existing education team to assist and develop and deliver association education programs and publications, continuing education, online education, and webinars. Now, she will also help out and assist in the conference uh, planning, serve as a reviewer and editor for association documentation and other educational resources. She is a very experienced instructional designer and training and development specialist with a strong background in association education. Now I get to work alongside with Jermaine, so it's a pleasure and welcome to the Isham team. And last, as the Isham team continually grows, you know, and, and we need more and more support, uh, Isham is proud to announce uh, Damian Berg, who is Isham past president, most recently served as regional manager of sterile processing for UC Health in Colorado. You know, he will he is going to assume the role of Isham's vice president of strategic initiatives. He will work alongside executive director Susan Adams to align 
the executive goals, develop initiatives to advance organizational strategic goals, as well as strategic partnerships to increase the visibility, recognition, and the value of sterile processing professionals among healthcare associations. Damien will also work closely with chapters to increase support and perform other duties regarding organization strategic goals and priorities as required by the board of directors. So welcome to the Isham team, Damien. So last thing I have for you in association news today is member login changes coming soon. Now, some of you have shared concerns about our online renewal application process, and we've listened to your suggestions. So we are pleased to announce that Isham will be launching our new online renewal system in September. As a result, login changes will be coming for current members and certification holders. Don't worry, we will be reaching out to you in the coming weeks via email or regular mail, snail mail if you will, with more details to ensure your primary login email on file with Isham is correct. So good news, you asked for it and looks like change is coming. So uh, that's all we have for this episode in Association News. Tune in next episode for more information with your association. The last 100 yards. The Last 100 Yards is an experience like no other, an in-depth series that focuses on different issues and topics in ways we never have before from a 360 perspective. Join me as we investigate topics affecting sterile processing and packaging with the help of scientists, manufacturers, engineers, and sterile processing professionals just like you. Partner with me and the KIPP committee as we explore The Last 100 Yards. Welcome back to the show, everybody. So like I said, it's great to have you back on the show as we continue our discussion in the last 100 yards series. I'm excited about this episode because we're discussing the survey from the KIPP committee. So let's talk about why this survey was developed. Yeah. Hey, John, this is Ralph. I'll, I'll take that one. Um, you know, when when we formed KIPP, as we talked about during uh, the, the last podcast, one of the very first things we did was create a survey and that survey was on LinkedIn. And that was really an invitation and, and, and it became a place for people to register or volunteer to join the KIPP movement. And we then followed up that with some more surveys. Uh, we, we, we wanted to engage with stakeholders. So we were able to get in front of a number of, of groups, industry groups, packaging engineers, sterile processing professionals. Uh, we, we, present, we had a presentation at Amy during an Amy meeting. So we got really, uh, and, and, and other opportunities that we had. And in those presentations, we used a Mentimeter that let us 
also capture information from the attendees. We then followed that up with a survey that went out to uh, Isham. It was meant to be part of uh, the 2020 workshop that we were going to put on. And, and when we weren't able to do that, we extended that survey. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that surveys have been part of the DNA of this group right from the start so that we could understand all the various stakeholders and the interest and the topics of interest to the industry. Maybe I will share a link with you. I don't know if you'll be able to share it with the uh, listeners, but we did have an article that a few people on this uh, in this call, in fact, and uh, everyone participated in this call that's on this meeting, but also uh, helped write this article about uh, entitled Surveying the Field. And we talked about the various surveys we did, just top level stuff, but I think uh, might provide some more background for people who are listening to this podcast. So can you talk about some of the objectives of the survey? Sure. So as you mentioned, this, the survey is really developed by the project group, which we refer to as the last 100 yards. And that is referring to when a sterile package arrives at the healthcare facility or healthcare organization, and then what happens to it once it's in-house, if you will, or if you're talking about a multi-site healthcare organization, then you know, with once the healthcare organization has control of the package. And we formed a couple teams that focused in on a couple different areas of the topic. One that we refer to as team one uh, was tasked with trying to under better understand what happens to a, a sterile package when it arrives at a healthcare facility and also when it departs, let's say, to external facilities and outpatient clinic. And then team two uh, was uh, also formed and they were focused in on some what we refer to as questionable practices. And I'll let my colleagues talk more about that in, as we get into it. But we, we were interested, this was much, very much a follow-up to the Isham survey, uh, but we wanted to understand amongst all the different departments that we were, that we were surveying about questionable practices and what percentages those were and try to understand maybe things that as an industry we could do to improve things. So that was the background on that. Thanks sure. Ralph. And yeah, this is Kat. I can give a little bit more information on that team too. Um, those questionable practices, we were really intrigued when we started to hear things um, from the field and in passing about, you know, packaging gets stuffed in pockets or it gets dropped on the ground and then, and then it's still used or there's question of it's still used and then what do you do with it? There are questions about what do you do with it? We really were trying to figure out, well, what percentage of users are unsure what to do with it? What percentage have protocols at their facilities that, that tell them and dictate what to do? Where was that training coming from? And then what were most of them doing with it after those questionable practices happened? What went into or what was the process for developing this specific survey? I can take that one too. So essentially it was lots and lots of meetings. <laughs> um, we, we definitely ended up with probably like two to three meetings a week between all of the different groups that we were having. And we eventually decided that we wanted to merge team one and two because there was a lot of overlap at the information we were trying to find out from the survey, what we were trying to glean from it. So we wanted to merge those two together and we ended up pulling those two teams in and i think it went up like 10 plus meetings by the time this was all done over the course of a month or two mm -hmm. and we were picking through the information that we were trying to get out hammering out what the question wordings were going to be and just 
some of that basics. And it actually took a lot longer than we were expecting to even just develop these questions. But in the end, we were able to make it in one survey instead of having multiple surveys, because with as much overlap as there as there was, we definitely didn't want to send out multiple surveys to the to the field when half of it was still going to be the same questions. We were really trying to avoid survey fatigue. So who was this survey specifically targeting? Oh, John, I can answer that. We were looking at all the healthcare professionals that are involved in handling the supplies. So primarily the supply chain, you know, the logist the personnel and logistics, materials management, of course, sterile processing. Um, we handle an awful lot of packages, uh, surgical services, endoscopy. We also wanted to target this to some of the uh, people who oversee the facility, like infection prevention and the C-suite. Great. And so what was the participation level that came from this survey? This is Terry. Uh, we have to say we were hoping when we released the survey that we would get at least 500 responses. And in reality, we were thrilled when we got over 1,800 participants with giving us all kinds of feedback. Wow. Um, that really exceeded our expectations. I have to say we were also really happy about the various departments that it came from that, we, as we, Susan mentioned, that we were targeting. The biggest percentage did come from sterile processing, but operating room, endoscopy, materials management, infection control, all were represented along with other departments. And then we we're also looking at the people, the specific people being the titles. And it included RNs, educators, supervisors, lots from the tech community, management. So we really felt like we had a really great, great cross section of feedback from the survey. Well, that's great. And so many participants really allows you to have a, a significant number as, you know, when you talk about statistics, it's the numbers are significant uh, with that many participants. So that's awesome. Yeah, John, that's a great point. Uh, just to pick up on that with exactly with having such a large participation, even though uh, even departments that uh, didn't participate as much as others, we had statistically valid response rates. So that was that was really terrific, a terrific benefit of having such broad participation and so many participants. Yeah, and again, I think it's great, uh, and just reiterate what you said, Terry, it's not just sterile processing technicians. These are folks, uh, you know, like like Sue mentioned from logistics, materials management, surgical services, you know, infection prevention and C-suite. So lots of different folks participating. So I think that is great. All right, let's get into the good stuff. Let's talk about some of the major findings that came from this survey. Uh, hey, hi, this is Dave uh, Jagrosi. You know, one of the things that we we discovered, and, and I think it's great in general because even the survey itself, I think, with the participants have uh, raised everybody's awareness level because we started asking these deep questions about something that we just do every day. We handle these packages. And one of the things that uh, emerged was the frequency that we handle these sterile packages from the time it hits the receiving dock and it's uncrated. It could potentially go to the sterile processing department. It can be put on a shelf. It could then be picked and uh, put up to the operating room. If the operating room doesn't use it, it could be returned to the central uh, supply area. And then potentially it could be picked again and sent to one of our off-site clinics. So we really saw uh, and got a good picture of how much uh, traveling these packages could potentially um, occur with them. 
Yeah, Dave. I mean, that was another thing that we definitely were, as a packaging engineer, super interested in because when we're developing our packaging, we're not fully understanding sometimes how often that handling occurs, how many times these things are being touched. And it was really interesting that we found that we had about 36% respondents said that after things are stored or, or things that are used and picked and put on a cart, they don't always get used. So then they have to send them back, but they don't always go back to the same carton or, or bin that they were pulled from. So sometimes some of those protective layers that we design in to the packaging gets shed and then it doesn't get stored that way. And that's how we end up testing for a lot of the stuff. So that was, that was incredible for us to see that from a packaging standpoint, you know, that it's being handled more than we are expecting. And it's not always sitting pristinely on the shelf in the carton we, we perfectly designed for it. I, I agree. Yeah. About- the, the collaboration that we had, you know, talking back and forth, it opened so many doors. When we were talking about the breakout area as packaging manufacturers, it was clear that you didn't understand that the packages came in and then they were removed in a different room and then brought into the sterile storage area and that the corrugated boxes could not enter. And so it was extra handling that we're doing. And I think you had some really good suggestions of how to even reduce that handling when we break these items out of the in the breakout down area and bring them into sterile storage. This is Terry. Another thing that we learned was really great deal of information around the percentage of respondents that said packaging was either was dropped and still used, or at times that products are stuffed in the pocket of the surgical coat, for example. 38% said they saw packages being stuffed into pockets and still being used after that. 44% came back and said, they saw packages still used after they'd been dropped on the floor. And we all understand those are not ideal situations, but understanding why they occur, the challenges of the decisions you know, being made, whether to use it or not use it, is all part of it as a community that we wanna learn about in order to put in place guidance and uh, information that can lead to best practices. I thought that was a a shocking number when I saw that. 44% still use the package after it's been dropped on the floor. I I wonder if that's the same with your food. Do 44% of the people uh, eat that hamburger that fell on the floor? You know, we're not talking about a five-second rule here. (laughs) So that number was really shocking for me to see. And, uh, John, I think that that translates back to – it directly correlates to the the training question that – some people were only initially trained at, at the point of hire. And, you know, we never kind of go back and review these very important practices. I mean, it's like, you know, sort of dying at the finish line. We go through all this trouble if it's a product made in the sterile processing department of um, making sure it's clean, making sure we follow the IFU, sterilizing it, and then we compromise it at the very end point just before we use it, you know? And and also to to go and talk to some of that packaging once it's dropped. I mean, there's a there's definitely the view out there that I mean, if it's in its packaging, it's still sterile because it's a sterile barrier. But of course, we just don't always know if that's true after it's been dropped on a you know dirty OR floor or something like that. What we don't typically test a package dropped from you know a meter high off of a table or or out of a pocket and onto a floor to see if there's still 
you know, would there be any pinholes or anything in it? That's not something that's part of the normal testing, but that's something that from the manufacturer side, that's something that we want to know if that is occurring as often as it is, because that's something that maybe we need to start putting into our verification activities when we are designing products. And then we want to know, well, what also can make it more common of a product that was dropped? Is it a size thing? Is it a, you know, whether it's too small or too large, what sort of handling can, can affect that, you know, drop rate? You know, it, you know it's interesting cat- because uh, that also led to discussions about event-related sterility and, you know, the lack of defined policies in healthcare facilities and that sometimes it just says, oh, we, we follow event-related sterility practices, but no one defines what an event is. And I think we all concluded that, yes, that would be, we would all consider that an event, but it was great that it sort of opened up that Pandora's box and put the focus on the event-related sterility policies. Yeah, I, I was just going to pick up two. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. And you know, one of the things, the testing that the packaging goes through, that the manufacturers putting their packaging testing through, they're testing like very small pinholes. And I know from the survey, one of the common reasons that a package was allowed to be used after it was dropped was visual inspection. Well, the holes that are being tested are not easily viewed with the naked eye and you're not going to be able to really completely uh inspect the package correctly to know that it hasn't been damaged so i think that was that was really eye-opening as well so dave you talked about event related sterility you know does this survey did it bring out any other uh terminology barriers yeah i i could pick up on this one from the mdm side i mean what we call a primary layer or a secondary layer or a sterile barrier or a carton pouch, all those things that we typically is, you know, first nature to us to call it that we found when we were going through this, we couldn't, not that we couldn't find commonality in it, but it was very difficult. And we went back and forth when we were trying to type out these questions. Did you mean this or is this what you meant? And it was again with things like prepackaged sterile goods or sterile sterile products. I mean, we couldn't even just say sterile products because obviously that opens the door for all of the sterile processing goods that are reused and sterilized in-house. So there was a lot of terminology that just as we were trying to write the questions in this survey, we kept tripping over because it's what the engineers may consider one thing, the OR staff or the sterile processing groups, they're, they're calling things differently. So that was a big thing that we went back and forth on too. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was internal to the group. And uh, we learned a lot, even just developing the questions uh, from each other. And I think that was one of our first steps was to we, we were saying we only know what we know. And there was a lot of uh, cross education going on before we even put the survey out. You know, a lot of these hospitals, like I mentioned earlier, have the event related sterility but it's not really defined. And, you know, I think it's we all can conclude that certainly dropping something on the floor could be considered an event. But then, you know, we had discussions about these, uh, you know, how many times can a package travel? You know, can can somebody consider that an event? You know, that it, this package has been traveling up and down on a cart for over a year. You know, so it opens up all those kinds of discussions once we got these results back from the survey. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, yeah, you know what, Dave, I'm reminded, and, and uh, I think this group will appreciate this. Uh, industry folks kept talking about containers, 
And and the healthcare folk kept saying you can't use the term container because we think of it as rigid containers. You right. know, and, and, and absolutely. And that was a great to me, I just was reminded of it again today. Great example of, you know, just the difference in terminology and, and trying to come to a common understanding and pick terms that, you know, would con convey what the question is actually trying to ask. And this is Terry. At, at the end of it all, we were um, also really surprised to learn how hard it was to give away the $50 gift cards we had for the respondents. <laughs> there were three of us involved and trying to yeah. get a hold of drawing names and trying to reconnect with all these people who had given uh, input and had put their name into the drawing bin. And uh, we even caught one person who was trying to impersonate an RN. So we had to oh. verify everybody as well, <laughs> just to make sure they were legitimately within the scope of the survey. But we finally succeeded at the end and we're really grateful to everyone's contributions and happy to, to send out all the gift cards to, to signal our appreciation to, to everyone. Yeah, that's hey, Terry, great. how long did it end up taking in the end to get all of those of those gift cards given out? I think we were approaching month three. <laughs> that oh, was hard. <laughs> you would think that people coming off of the Christmas holidays or, you know, any of the other holidays that they would just they would want that gift card. But <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we'd like to think that, uh, you know, the gift cards definitely uh, were a good draw. But, you know, to pull eighteen hundred people in. You know, I always get out there among our, our professionals, our, our stone processing group and kind of get on my soapbox and say, get involved, be part of your profession. You know, it's really encouraging to see that, you know, we have such a strong response because they may not realize it, but th that's participating in your profession by answering surveys like this, getting involved, telling us what your issues are, and uh, it's moving the ball forward. So it's really encouraging to see it. You know, Dave, that's a great point. I hadn't even really thought about, but it was about 50% of the respondents provided contact. It was completely optional, right? It was an anonymous survey. But if you wanted to be in the drawing, you obviously needed to provide your contact information. Well, about 50% did, but about 50% didn't. So you're, to your point, Dave, they were that motivated and they weren't motivated necessarily just by the gift card or, or by the gift card at all, but by the opportunity Absolutely. to share their opinion and their experience. Yeah. And Ralph, I think we learned one of the things we learned is we, you know, it can't be too short of a poll and it can't be too long because there's kind of fatigue. I mean, I think it took about what, maybe 15 to 20 minutes to complete this thing. So it wasn't like a quick, you know, uh, you know, we, we saw a little bit of a drop off, but we also learned uh, because it was our first. Yeah, no, you're right. It was 61 questions. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah and, and that was hard to select the questions. Yeah. We had, I, and I remember us having more questions and we even put on the yep. survey. We said, oh, my goodness, we have to stop here. Yeah. I think we I mean, could have we, gone on and on and on. Of course, we've got a bunch of talkers and a bunch of people that want information. We could have asked so many more questions, but we eventually cut it down. I think in the end, we did get, I mean, even at the point where we did have some of the drop off, we still had over 68% of individuals that did stick around through all 61 questions and gave <laughs> us really good data. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that when we do these things, and if we do any in the future, you know, they are anonymous polls, and we want people to answer honestly, mm -hmm. because, you know, we don't want the answer of what the ideal situation is. We want to know what you're doing and how you were taught, because like we said, maybe you were taught 25 years ago, 
and technology and processes and packagings has changed. So uh, you have to be honest when you answer these things and uh, there's no wrong answers. Absolutely. I mean, the, the more honest answers that we have, the better that we can design these packages for you, the users and anyone else that is having to, to handle them or store them or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some of the responses still, even now I go back and I, I'm still surprised sometimes. And I see, you know, 34% of users said that they've seen um, in their facility products being stored via a rubber band. And, you know, that's something that if that's what we as the MDM need to know, then we design into that. We design a way that those products can be stored safely with a rubber band holding them together. We understand when you've got a bunch of little little products, how do you keep them all together so they're not falling out of falling out of the bins and onto the ground? Because again, that would be an event, right, Dave? I'll answer for him. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I was <laughs> muted. <laughs> So can someone talk about uh, one of the questions about reduction of waste and usability? Yeah, I, I can pick up on that one. So one of the questions that we ended up asking, because, you know, we're, we're trying to get a feel for where the mindset of a lot of the users are. One of the questions was, well, how can packaging be improved? How can how can we how can we do that? And one of the main things that we heard from the field was that they want a reduction of waste. And when it comes to the usability, we need they, the users need to be able to find the important information very quickly. And the important information for them is what is the reference number or the product number? What is the description? And what is that expiration date? A lot of times when you see labels, I'm sure you've seen them before, and there's information all over it. You don't know what date is what. You don't know what description you're, it is that you're trying to look for. Where is the size of that? Or it's, we're to a point now where there's multiple barcodes on things too. Which one are you... Mm -hmm which one are you having to scan? Those are all things that we heard through this survey that they wanted improvement on. It's just really obvious where is my where's the important information and then how can we reduce waste because obviously waste in hospitals is very expensive and no one wants to be contributing to that um, non-sustainable life cycle of a lot of this. So these larger packages, we really wanna try to keep them smaller. So those were some of the things that we saw, some of the main ones that we heard about from the users that they would like to see improvements on. You know, it's interesting uh, if, if the users out there think about this for a minute. What we kind of want from the manufacturers are, before we use a product, we want to be able to shoot that thing out into space to Mars and back and have it still be uh, intact and sterile, mm -hmm. right? But on the flip side, when we open the package, we want it to be easily recyclable, right? So yep. it's like we need this permanently durable product that we could also easily recycle. So you certainly have your challenges and uh, I can imagine what that looks like on your side of things. It definitely is a catch 22 sometimes. And it is a, it's a tight rope that we, that we walk when we're trying to design things because we have to take our users into consideration when we do, when we develop anything, we have to know who's going to use it and under what circumstances are they going to use it? Um, sometimes, you know, you get those little small packages cause we want to, cause we want to make them really small cause the product is small. But then we hear, well, I've got wet gloves on. I can't open that little tiny package with wet gloves. So we kind of have to balance some of these things when we go into making them. I think one of the other sort of Pandora's boxes we, we stumbled upon, too, might not have necessarily been so evident in the survey, but was, you know, storage conditions and durability and temperature and humidity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of crosses over because 
simultaneously right now, the Amy uh, group is working on TIR 109 for trans offsite transportation. So all of these issues are sort of coalescing and it actually couldn't have coalesced at a better time that we're working on this sort of similar track because there's crossover there, you know, packaging uh, and, and transportation are sort of hand in hand there. So I think this survey brought to light some very interesting issues and realities, which is great information. So what are you going to do with this information? What follow-up actions have or will be taken as a result of this survey? This is Terry. Initially, uh, we identified two related studies that we think will help to better help us get better understanding about the transport of these sterile devices within the healthcare organization. I've been working uh, with a team of professionals focusing on repeated handling of the sterile devices. We mentioned this a bit before that often we find these sterile devices are handled at a much higher frequency than you would normally think when you think about how they're transported to the healthcare facility, then within the facility to the, the storage area to a procedure area, uh, then back to sterile storage if they're not used. I mean, they're being loaded onto shelves and into case carts, taken to that procedure area, often not used, returned again. And this just keeps repeating over and over again, this cycle. And what was really interesting to us that we didn't really understand before was how many additional sterile devices are loaded into the case cart just in case just in case they're needed. This is a very, very common practice we learned from the survey as, you know, they're expected to be prepared for any possibility once they're in that procedure area. So often, even though the number of devices or maybe specific devices aren't on the typical list uh, for that case, they're often loaded just in case into the case card. So KIPP formed a special team who to focus on this particular uh, subject. We're actually going to be conducting a research study this fall in September where we want to learn about the potential impact of the repeated handling and movement of these sterile devices. We want to be looking at the risk of contamination uh, for a particular device, but also as a particular device is handled and then maybe returned back into uh, a storage area, is there cross-contamination happening between devices as well? So we hope to be conducting that study and publishing it before the end of 2021. Terry, that study is really interesting because it's being conducted by packaging engineers in an, a healthcare facility. So we are going to get real-world analysis of what really happens to a package. That's great. And I, John, I think another area is as we identified these other areas of opportunities, I can certainly uh, speak on behalf of even yourself and Sue that where we can, we've identified areas where maybe um, folks need more education. Like we've talked about event-related sterility and handling. There's known practices out there now. Knowing people might not have had education for 20 to 30 years. I'm sure Isham could have uh, present some opportunities and, um, we kind of have some focus areas of work. I think I, myself, I, I'm trying to rent billboard space near every major hospital <laughs> with a sign that says, don't put the peel pouch in your pocket. But, uh, but you know, short of that, I think Isham is going to most likely be targeting some education towards this. 
Yeah. Dave, the packaging engineer and me is very happy that you're renting billboards to say, don't put the package in your pocket. <laughs> uh, you know what? The marketing person to me is happy that you're doing billboards too. So. <laughs> it might be a very small billboard, but nonetheless. <laughs> Another thing that came out of the study was the external transportation. And Dave, you had touched on this a little bit ago. And at yes. Amy, we are developing that external transport of healthcare processed items, and that is TIR 109. And there's some studies going on with that. And once again, using packaging engineers in real world situations, you know, using a truck that has humidity and temperature and something else we found out as we transport items from one hospital to another, a lot of times the way that these devices are designed in the packaging, it's not, ex expected to go outside the hospital. So in this experiment, we're even looking at the shock and where the items are placed in the truck and how much shock that that item has. And, you know, if we're looking at transporting like power equipment, you know, it was designed to be transported inside a hospital, not so much to be transported exterior from one place to another. And we're seeing absolutely. Yeah, and Dave, as you know, in hospitals, you know, more and more we are seeing external transportation because of, you know, people, some facilities are centralizing maybe a certain type of low temperature sterilization, or there's even processing facilities that everything is centralized to one facility and these other facil healthcare facilities are feeding into that. So external transportation Absolutely. is growing more and more. And so we really need to look at that. And, you know, with the packaging engineers, we're looking at what actually does happen to the package and, and what effect does this external transportation, you know, what effect does that have on the sterile package? Yeah. And, and Sue, and, to get back to terminology again, or just a clarifying statement, we're, we're looking at, um, you know, sh when Sue says shock, we're, we're, we also mean vibration, like it's yeah. bouncing around in the car, right? We don't want, I mean, we don't want people getting electrocuted either, but, um, <laughs> you know, again, it's funny that you see how easily terminology or definitions can be uh, misinterpreted, right? Right. Yeah. You, you were thinking that uh, we were talking about shock therapy to deal with some of the, some of the. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and Sue, like you, you touched on it that, it's, you know, the packaging engineers, we were here in the, in part of the study to see what's going on with the packaging. I mean, a lot of times that stuff is even outside of what we handle in manufacturing companies. It's not necessarily just like the packaging for transport after it's already been used. But this is also something that, to be honest, the design engineers, the ones that are developing these products, these are things that they need to know as well, too, because if this is if these products are going through that extra shock or vibration or whatever else that's going on these are things that are taken into account when they're designing you know the internals of these products and and the robustness of these products too so it's yeah, all it, over the place and who needs to be and who this information can benefit and i'll tell you it's impressive the expertise and the knowledge and skill of the packaging engineers is i have looked at these experiments being laid out and being developed it is really impressive all that is included and how detailed everything is. And it, you know, the fact that it's all gonna be based on science and not just what somebody assumes, I think is really gonna add a lot of credence to these studies. And it's really gonna help us users in the long run. 
And and Sue, I think that's a great, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the users always ask us, like, how can we get involved? And certainly, like I said, participating in the polls that might come out. But, you know, as we dig into this, um, we may knock on your door. We may call you and need you to participate. We might want to see if you can um, we can work at your facility or if we're doing some kind of study or, you know, so uh, stay tuned if as the group gets more into uh into these areas of opportunity, uh, we're going to need real-life user situations and real-life hospitals to potentially participate. Yeah, I I just want to also uh, pick up on one point that I think uh, is just so terrific about these, that these two studies really represent, you know, our mission in KIPP is to cooperate among stakeholders, all the stakeholders, and make things better. And, you know, these two studies are really going to help I think all stakeholders, as, as Kat was alluding to, do their job better, design better, uh, maybe better devices, better packaging, also better practices. Uh, you know, Sue mentioned TIR 109. It's great to have this, have actual evidence, you know, that's going to come out of these studies to help inform the development of, of a standard. So these are all very much uh, representative of what the mission of, of KIPP is. So, so it's really rewarding to see it in action, you know. I agree. I appreciate the dedication and commitment of the facilities letting us come in and use their facilities and also of the packaging engineers. I truly appreciate that a lot. And I think it's really going to help the user community a lot. Thanks, Sue. I'm, and we're equally appreciative of any of the healthcare facilities that are letting us get in, get in there and use their facilities. And then also the the professionals that are going to be actually physically implementing this or, or working on it with us. Um, you know, we don't want to be the ones handling it because we kind of have some bias towards how we would handle these packages. So we really want to see it from the user's perspective. If we say, Hey, load this bin, load this cart, wheel it around. Now put it now, imagine you're putting it back on the shelves. Uh, we really are going to are hoping and we're going to have, actual users doing that so that we can make this as uh, representative as possible. And we understand that people are busy today in today's day and age. You know, there's no one that's just sitting around like, man, I wish I had something to do. So we <laughs> understand that people are busy and we can't thank them enough to take time out of their schedules for this, for this study that we're working on. Absolutely. And all the more we thank them because this is a time of COVID. It's not an easy time to let people come into the healthcare facilities and conduct these research studies. And again, it just shows the commitment from the healthcare professionals, the medical device manufacturers, all those involved in the packaging. We're all doing everything we can to make sure we, we put forward good information that will help all and ultimately you know, benefit uh, patient safety. You know, I think we touched on this uh, in our last session, too, and it's worthy to note that if you have somewhat of an interest in this thing, it's fun. I've had a lot of fun working on this group, and I really learned a lot and enjoyed the company of uh, most of the meetings that we conduct. Also, call out one other thing that really came out of this effort, and that's the formation of what we refer to as the Education Committee. And actually, it has a lot to do with us you're, you're hearing in this in this podcast, the last one too. Mm-hmm. We're, we by that we mean industry educating healthcare professionals and and vice versa, and so a vehicle where we can have maybe 
uh, not just studies, but we can share information and, and teach each other about our professions. And as we were already talking about terminology and these podcasts came directly out of the work of the education committee. And, and we're thankful to you, John, and to Isham for, for uh, uh, giving us a, a, a home for them. Um, but this is part of that effort of the education committee to, to educate the industry, the whole industry and all the stakeholders in it. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to our listeners about this fascinating survey. I can't wait until we meet again, which will be in the next podcast episode as we continue this series, The Last 100 Yards. Thank you, Thank John. You, John. Thank you, John. Thank you. Again, a big thanks to everyone on the KIPP committee who are helping out in this last 100 yard series. It was great speaking with you today. Isham Nation episode 45 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information and select the code point of use treatment. Again, the code for this episode is point of use treatment. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.